warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies. We've just a hint of professionalism. Scott here as usual. Special guest for this episode this week. It's Mark, who's back. Hello, sir. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Thanks for having me. Well, well, looking forward to this. Well, you enjoyed yourself so much, you, you begged me to come back and I do it. I did. I was begging. <laughs> begging. Couldn't wait. <laughs> and, and because you did such a fine job last time, so I let you choose the movie again. What are we talking about today? We are talking about 1973's That'll Be The Day. Uh, yeah. The kind of showcase, film showcase uh, for David Essex. Yeah. Now, actually, I sounded like David Essex then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I just said to you off air, I thought I'd seen this. Um, it's just one of those films that has always been familiar to me. Possibly because I used to sell it in the video store, so I'd seen it going over the counter. But what I was getting confused with, we always had the soundtrack album at home which was wasn't it a double vinyl wasn't it gatefold sleeve if i remember right i've never had the i have got a lot of old vinyl but i haven't got this yeah it was 40 tracks on the on the soundtrack yeah which we will be talking about when we go into the review proper so i'll tell you what we'll do we'll take a break we'll play the trailer if i can find one because i'm sure there's one there and we'll be back straight after this Never felt like this. I'm a clay. Okay. What else? How's the group? Fantastic. Most of the boys you know left. Well, there's only me and Stuart that you know now. We're semi-pros. Yeah, we'll be professional as soon as we get a decent amplifier. <laughs> We've got a recording session next week. Yeah, London Palladium a week after. That's good money, then. Not bad. 20 quid a week we got at Butlins. Christ. You used to play the harmonica, didn't you? I saw a group last week. One of their blokes played an harmonica. He weren't bad. You should have kept it up, you know. Well, I did. Yeah, I used to be with a band called Stormy Tempest. But, you know, it wasn't going the right way, so... Anyway, what are you doing around here? We're playing the floor all tonight. Why don't you come down and see us? Well, maybe I will. I'll get time. That'll be the day. Released in 1973, as Mark said, it's directed by a guy called Claude Wathar, or Wathar, something like that. I can't actually see how to pronounce it. I think it's Wathar. Wathar, yeah. As you said, it's starring David Essex, also starring Ringo Starr. Guest appearances, we've got James Booth in there, who I'm sure you're going to talk about at some point. Uh, Rosemary Leach, Billy Fury's in there, Rosalind Ayres and Robert Lindsay. The synopsis is Britain, 1958. Restless at school and bored with his life, Jim leaves home to take a series of low-level jobs at a seaside amusement park where he discovers a world of cheap sex and petty crime. But when that world comes to a shockingly brutal end, Jim returns home. As the local music scene explodes, Jim must decide between a life of adult responsibility or a new phenomenon called rock and roll. Now, before I let you fly, because I know if I was to wind you up, you will just go on and on with this one, because <laughs> I know, as you say, you are so familiar with this, and it's, it's you know, you're chomping at the bit. As I say, I hadn't seen this, so I went in quite blind. I wasn't expecting the movie that I got. I, w- I was thinking that it was going to be more of a music-based movie, more of a rock and roll, you know, kid growing up in the 50s, forms a band, things like that. There is that element to it, but it's it's underlying. It's more very, very similar to Quadrophenia. I, I sort of decided in the back of my head while I was watching this that it's a social sort of commentary and it's a very good snapshot of 50s England. And the rock and roll bit plays second fiddle. 
Yes. Uh, well, well, it's kind of a massive background. It's almost like you know the panoramic shots in westerns. Yeah. yeah, it's always there, but it's not part of the story. The rock and roll, the music, really is central to the film, but also just background, just yeah. background, not not foreground whatsoever. Uh, apart from possibly one scene where they talk about trad jazz. Rock. yeah that's true uh, yeah. but we'll come to that when we talk about that scene but it is it is i, I think it, it, it's a bit like melody as well it's kind of it's it comes from kitchen stri- sink drama you british mm. kitchen gin- sink drama sorry i'm having trouble here put my taste <laughs> back in um uh, but it's a slightly lighter in tone yes not as light as melody melodies a much lighter film than this um but it's it's there's something about the characters in this that they feel authentic because they're both good and bad in their own yeah. ways. Why do you like the film? Is it one that you watched at an early age and it's just sort of stuck yes, with you? Yes, I think so. Um, I think it was one of the first films I remember recording on video and I kept the video and watched oh, it over and over. We, we all know, had when, one of those, when you got yeah. video players, mm. you only had a few tapes. Whatever you <laughs> taped, you just watched over and over until you got really bored and then taped over it. Yeah. But, uh, well, that'll be the day and its sequel – uh, I've always liked, though mm. I prefer that will be the day. Okay, because of course, having not seen this, I haven't seen Stardust either. So okay. that yeah. will be coming that, up very soon, I think, for me to watch. Yeah, now that Stardust is more about what I think you were thinking this might be. It's yes. more about band, band life. Yeah, yeah. Um, a bit of background on the story. I mean, I don't know how much of this you know. The guy that wrote it was called Ray Connolly, and probably subconsciously without even thinking you've picked another david putnam movie i have yes. yeah now ray <laughs> connolly yeah ray connolly was a journalist and a friend of david putnam's and he had this idea for writing a story it was basically a story it was going to be but putnam convinced him to turn it into a script and, right and putnam this is after melody so putnam's sort of like you know fresh off the success of that so he's got a bit of clout behind him and they try to get financing and it's a bit like you know the handmade film story where george harrison helped the um, the monty python team and long good friday and the long good friday mona lisa that sort of thing yeah what happened was the story was originally based on a song now i'm not too familiar with this the story that ray Connolly um wrote was based on a song by harry nilson called 1941 and there's a right. Little, right. This is <laughs> this is um, as much information as you're going to get from me today. I'm, I'm not usually this prepared. The song opens with the lyric: "Well, in 1941, a happy father had a son, and by 1944, the father walked right out the door." And that was just the cue for this whole story. This is where it all came from. Now, what happened was Ray Conley knew Harry Nilsson, and the story of the song goes on that he goes and joins the circus. So he changed that to a fun fair and they decided the film was going to be set in the 50s and it's going to be rainy beaches, coffee bars, fairgrounds, that sort of thing. And Putnam got the, you know, the, the production money and there was connections with Harry Nielsen to Ringo Starr. Uh, Ringo Starr knows Keith Moon, obviously, and Neil Aspinall, the Beatles roadie, was the music manager for this. And it all sort of snowballed out of the music industry. You know, a bit like The Who making Tommy and Quadrophenia, a bit like George Harrison being responsible for handmade films. There's this connection here, which is great. You know, we're finding these little connections between these British movies of the 70s. So let's start with the plot. It is about, it starts off with James Booth, who you know very well. Yeah, I mean, we talked about him on uh, Stinking Poor Zulu yes. for a start. He's, yeah. he's from that uh, and he's a well-known british actor you know he's been in lots of stuff uh very solid very very solid presence yeah um he was in things like sparrows can't sing which is one of my favorite films zulu which is obviously your favorite movie and you know he went on acting right through to the 80s you know he's quite a familiar face in sort of 60s and 70s films uh the story starts off in 1946 uh, what I've got, I've got a synopsis here that I'm going to sort of use as our as our guide, mate. So please, please yeah. chip in as and when. Okay, 1946. Story starts with five-year-old Jim McLean, who's David Essex. His father returns home after being demobbed to work in the family grocery store. He can't settle down, and on a visit to a local boating lake in a local park, he sets a trap boat free and tells young Jim that he's leaving him and his mother and walks out. 
Yeah. It's an interesting story. I really like James Booth's acting. It's really good. You can see he's dissatisfied in the shop. The, mm. the old load is droning on. And the only bit of happiness he seems to have is like um, it, sort of smiling at his son. Yeah. You know, his little son. Now, uh, the scenes, I have a bit of trouble with this because the scenes seem to be played out for a child that's a little older than this. Yeah. I mean, he is such a little boy and he's mm. sort of explaining to him, oh, I'm leaving it. And that might work for like an eight-year-old, but this kid looks about four. Yeah, she's tiny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It says here he's five. There you go, 1946, five-year-old Jim McLean. So yeah, he does give quite a, an adult conversation. The, and the thing with um, the, the James Booth character as well, it's, it's almost like a cameo, isn't it? Because he's in it very, very briefly. Yeah, it's uh, very briefly, and there's a sl- there's a slight flashback later, but essentially this is it. Yeah, for James Booth, and, um, and you know he's just dissatisfied and just doesn't want to hang around. And we get Rosemary Leach being a properly mildly sort of wife and mother, you know, appropriately, but uh, yeah, and we get her too. Still living at home with the grandfather, still there as well, and having to take over the family business, which is the corner shop. Sort of time progresses, and, and David Essex. We see him at school now. We see him at school. He was 25. I was just about to say, it's one of those cases of (laughs) an older actor playing a much younger person. It works with David Essex, not quite with Robert Lindsay, but just about okay. Yeah. Now, the thing I found out as well at this time, at the time this movie was filmed, David Essex was a nobody. David Essex hadn't had his recording career at this point. He was right. in, I think it was Godspell. It was either Jesus Christ Superstar or Godspell. I'm thinking it's Godspell. And he was spotted by David Putnam. And he thought, that's the guy I need. Just a fresh-faced youth, you know. That, because there was going to be no singing involved in this. It didn't really matter that he was in a musical, particularly. Uh, yeah. And he brought him on board. And it was only after this movie came out that he released, I think it was Rock On was the first. Rock On, Rock yeah. On was a good song. He, what, he did record before that, but it just never had any success. I yeah. think it was his band was called David Essex and the Mood Indigo. And I've, I've not heard any of their songs. No, no, as I say, um, it wasn't anything, you know, particularly nah. notable until but after 65, this. that was eight years before this, he was in a band producing mm. music. So that's quite astounding, actually. Yeah, well, you think about it, David Bowie was sort of mid-early 60s, wasn't he, before he skyrocketed, you know, around about this yes. sort of time yeah. as well. That's true, that's very yeah. true. It's a very similar kind of trajectory in many ways Mm, i guess yeah and also you'll remember this probably better than i do because you are just that couple of years older round about this time early 70s 73 whether this was the catalyst i don't know but there was a big big 50s rock and roll revival going on at this time yeah there was a massive one and i think that'll be the day fair a kind of I don't think it created it. Mm. Uh, I just think I've got a feeling it just feels coincidental because they're not the rock and roll sits in the background. But you know we had bands like Mud and Shorty Woody and that was it. uh, Later on, Rocky Sharp and the Replays and (laughs) uh, Darts and things like that. There was a massive rock and roll revival, and that's how I know rock and roll. You know because. I was hearing it. I listened to loads of rock and roll mm. at this time. Well, um, I, re- I remember, uh, you know, Rock Around the Clock and the Eddie Cochran stuff was all being re-released and hitting the charts at this time. Yeah, yeah. Still. Jungle Rock and yeah. all sorts. All sorts. And um, American Graffiti came out about this sort of time as well. I think it might have been a year before, two years before. If you listen to a lot of the other bands around there, they didn't... They didn't profess to be rock and roll, but they were. You can hear I'm thinking it. of things like the Rubettes yeah, and Gary Glitter, Slade. You can hear it in like the that. background and um, Sweet and things like that. They've all got Sweet, that rock yeah. and roll beat, haven't they? Even though they're yeah. they're glam rockers, because they were teenagers at this time. You know, this is yeah. the, this particular period of time, 1959. They are living well, this particular life that you know David Essex was probably living. So. Yeah, you know, every era gets its nostalgic era. You know, we're living in an 80s nostalgic era. Yeah, at the moment, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And in the 80s, it was... Sorry, early 70s was the 50s. Late 70s was a bit of the 60s, the late 60s. And then in the 80s, it was the 50s again. Also, yeah, didn't we have um, a lot of the 60s stuff in the 80s because of all the Levi's adverts all the um, yeah. all the 60s records were being re-released weren't they I remember that yeah yeah. yeah absolutely 20 year cycles like, um, yeah things like uh, Back to the Future again reactivated interest in the 50s yeah. as well 
Yeah, yeah, just sort of twenty year cycle. These things go in cycles. Yeah. We'll probably have the fifties again soon. But I, I wouldn't object to it, mate. I honestly wouldn't nah. object at all. So David Essex is is not a stupid kid. You know, we we know that. He's actually so intelligent, he's quite bored with school life, isn't he? Because there's a thing about, yeah. is it the Battle of Jenkins' Ear and Napoleon? And He appears he to be bored. Yeah. He knows it all. He just wants out. He's stuck at home with his mum and his granddad. He doesn't want to be running the corner shop when he leaves school. He can't see where else he's going to go. And he just breaks away. Just run, Well, not runs away, but he just breaks away from school. He throws all his books into the... Into the no, river. No, I think he runs away. Does he actually run he away? Does he not tell? Oh, because mum finds him on the beach later, doesn't yeah, she? No, yeah, no, he goes home, packs his bag, mm. and his granddad's sort of. His granddad's fairly sympathetic. Older people tend to be much more sympathetic about these things. Yeah. They, they removed a little. He's saying, Your mum, uh, it's going to be hell to play with your mother. But he's not trying <laughs> to stop him. It's just sort of, you know. Yeah, you do what you've got to do, son, but yeah, be, be prepared. That's for a nice them. filmmaking because it's a voiceover. We don't see a scene between them. We hear the granddad talking as he yes, packs his bag. That's right. So it's a nice bit of filmmaking. Yeah, and. and I can see the elements of the kitchen sink drama that you were on about there, you know, that you get the the family life in the confines of the house. Uh, and I could be wrong, but I have a feeling whenever we get to the family life, yep. that the lens is a little fuzzier. It may be, mate. I, it I, feels mm. like it's it, they've like put a bit of Vaseline on the lens to make it a little soften more... Soften it up, yeah. Soften. But I could be wrong there. I'm not yeah. entirely sure. Um so where does he end up? He looks like Brighton. I'm not too sure, but he ends up as. Uh, is it a it does look like Brighton. Yeah. But apparently, a lot of this was filmed on Isle of Wight. But it looks like Brighton Beach. Yeah. it does look like Brighton Beach. Definitely, the yeah. later scenes of the holiday camp was was Isle of Wight. Um, oh, okay. The, this film does jump. Mm-hmm. It, it it expects its audience to keep up with it. It doesn't explain sometimes how you get to a certain place. We just see him somewhere else. Yeah. Interacting with new people, don't we? He, you see and him it kind of makes sense. You see him at the B&B, first of all, which is like a grotty little, you know, tiny yeah. little room with newspaper on the floor. And uh, But you can tell at, the, at this point, it's like, okay, well, I've broken away. I'm happy. This is all I need. There's a little gas cooker in the corner, a tiny little grotty bathroom. But it's going to be his new home. It's not going to be the corner shop. He's not confined or restricted to that that life that he thought he was going to be doomed to. Um, no. Yeah, um, I mean, he seems happy enough. Uh, he's right. It's like we get snippets of him writing his poetry. Mm. He writes poetry, doesn't he? It's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. And we kind of, uh, you know, on a rainy day, he sits there under the sh- thing. Otherwise, he's just getting his debt cheese. He's playing football with the kids. Uh, and he's there's two girls, and you know he's a good looking lad. He's a little shy and awkward, but he's a good looking lad. And these two girls say, "What what goes on around here at night?" And you think, "Whoa, here we go." <laughs> uh, but it kind of it's interesting. He these these girls just let him spend all his money when he's got none. They just walk off. That's and it. Goes, well, the life lesson there, right? He's very lesson. naive, isn't he? He's had no. No experience with girls. We, we find this. Yeah, out. and I think I've done that. I, mm. I'm sure I've done that. Uh, but you learn pretty quick. <laughs> That's you know. right. We, we Can get you buy a, me a drink. No, we get a taste <laughs> of that earlier though, don't we? Because there's a scene in the calf with him, and uh, might be Robert Lindsay, and and there's a young Marlene from Only Fools and Horses. Uh, young Marlene, unbelievable. Yeah, that's Marlene. <laughs> uh, and do we, we see Cole Howman also? Yes, as one of the pupils at this point. So we get Cole Howman who's in loads of things, and Robert Lindsay. Uh, and it just, uh, the, one of the things about this film is seeing those guys, I remember watching an old show mm. about being in the RAF in the 50s. Get some in. Get some in. Yes. Robert Lindsay played a character called Jakey Smith That's for it. several seasons, but he's, he was that character was then taken over by Carl Howman. Was he? Oh, well, I remember yes. that, because I remember getting some in. And obviously, I remember Citizen Smith, which you know yeah. was, was immediately afterwards. And then Carl Hellman went on to Brushstrokes and Brushstrokes. But Carl, so in my mind, Robert Lindsay and Carl Hellman are kind of interlinked, quite <laughs> specifically, just for watching that old show. Didn't realise um, Carl Hellman took over that, that that part of Gets I'm In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very late, but he did. Mm. So they they are always kind of interlinked. And here we see him in the same film. It's set in the era of Get Some In. Of course it is, <laughs> National Service, yeah. Yeah, National Service. This is the so, point, actually. If he's only like 16 years old or something, we, we don't see any of that side of things, do we, National Service? I don't know when National Service finished. I mean, 61. This 58, 59. Okay. New Year's Day, 61. So he 61. just skips. Mm. He just skips National Service. That, yeah. That ain't right. That doesn't sound right. But then there is a bit, I think when he returns home, 
later on, I know we're skipping ahead here, he sees somebody in uniform walk past and he sort of turns around and looks at them. Yeah. It's a very brief scene, blink and you'll miss it type thing. Yeah, um, I don't remember that, actually. Yeah, I think I, it's... I, I, actually, I kind of do, but I thought it was something to do with his father, remembering his could father. Be, could be, could well, be. it is. Yeah, kind of that, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. Returning to the family home and there's a guy walking past in uniform. Yeah, what's the, the chances of that, I suppose, yeah. So where are we now? We see him... Um, he's, he doesn't get the job at the fun fair at this point, does he? Uh, he no, picks no, up two we, girls on the he's beach. He's on the beach. His mother turns up as attractive because he sent a postcard. She gives him some money. And then um, he's on the pier and the policeman finds him. Yeah, and he keeps saying, I'm a madman, me. When I've had a drink, like, I'm a madman. Don't touch me. But yeah. he's, a, he's a nice <laughs> copper. And he come on, son, I'm going that way in this walk. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, but I, I broke in. He goes, ah, oh, that gate never worked. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of a sympathetic soul, really. And he, and he very um, kindly just kicks his bottle of rum into the off the pier, into the, into the, the water, sea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. Uh, but then it jumps to the holiday camp. Uh, yes. and he's already talking to Ringo Starr we don't know Ringo Starr from Adam in he's playing a character called Mike, Mike but they obviously know each other a bit but Ringo Starr's giving him the sort of lowdown of both the girls and the job this is Ringo Starr's third or fourth season in the holiday camp because he used to yeah. work on the fun fairs and he treats it as a bit of a holiday chance to pull the birds make a bit of money Yeah, and he's your typical rock and roll DA haircut big sideburns just yeah. how you'd imagine Ringo Starr would be, you know. Now, um, I really like Ringo Starr in this. I, I do. It's mm. really good. And he should have done more films. I, he didn't do that many films, did he? he? He went on to make a really fun little one called Caveman. He did. Uh, that was Harry Nilsson. Yeah, that, yeah, it was with Harry Nilsson. Also, he was in a Peter Sellers one. I think it was The Magic Christian. Yes, um, but I've not seen that. No, and I've seen the two early Beatles movies. But it's a natural it's it, it doesn't a, look false at all, does it? It's no. And the thing is, I think what they said again. I was reading somewhere. He used a lot of his experiences in the writing. He was a bit of a consultant here because pre-Beatles, obviously, was the Quarrymen with um, John Lennon's first band with Paul McCartney and George Harrison. And yeah. uh, Ringo was part of Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. You know the That's rival right, Storm, band, which is Stormy Tempest. It's this kind very of similar, isn't it? And this is what they're saying is, and. And they've sort of used his experiences and his recollections to base some of the screenplay on. And in fact, he didn't go on to do. Mike is a central character in Stardust, but Ringo Starr didn't take him up, take it up because it was too painful. That was it. it. Mm. Too much, too similar to many sort of deaths and tragedies in rock, and Ringo Starr just didn't want to go through with it. Yeah. So it was taken over by Adam Faith, who's a completely different kind of person. Yeah, uh, yeah. but. Um, yeah, but Ringo Starr was terrific in this. It would have been interesting to see that role of Mike, but Adam Faith does a really good job as well. I'm looking but, forward to watching that actually now because yeah. I watched this about two weeks ago in preparation for today. Yeah, and I thought, you know what, I need to have another little look at it to make my mind up because although I enjoyed it, it didn't first of all grip me completely. I'm just thinking because it threw me my first watch because I was expecting the rock and roll movie that it wasn't. Yeah, were you expecting something more like American Graffiti? Maybe? I was expecting something like, yes, I think I was. I was expecting it to be like the Rags to Riches side, and it was him forming a band. I was expecting right. that. No. Yeah. yeah, I have to say, some of the shots of the fun fair are very reminiscent of American Graffiti's yeah. style. Yeah, uh, American Graffiti is a very underrated film, though. Great uh, film, very great. Yeah, film. really great mm. film. And no one really talks about, it, but I think it's a really good film. And it, this is kind of the British downbeat <laughs> version of it. In it a is a very downbeat compared to American Graffiti, where it's all yeah. sort of like you know muscle cars and really loud sort of you know, bright lights and rock and roll music. This is this is Britain in the fifties. This is rationing Britain. This is yeah. you know Billy Butlin's holiday camps and holidays by the seaside and fish and chips on the pier. You know, it's that sort of thing. But it's fantastic. You know, I watched it for a second time this morning and I got it because I knew what I was expecting this time round. Um, it has bumped up in my estimation quite a bit. Yeah, I think it, the bits with Ringo Starr, the whole section with Ringo Starr, both the fair and the holiday camp, are the, are the bits that really fly in this film, actually. Yeah. I think it, the, the, the first two acts are the best bits of the film the third act's fine but I think the, the best of it is in the first two it's acts. the midsection isn't it I think the whole relationship between David Essex and Ringo Starr 
Uh, Ringo Starr just makes me laugh. He's <laughs> spinning out towels and commenting on everything. And now it all feels very authentic. Yeah. And he's, though he, you know, he bullshits a little, he never exaggerates really. No. And at one point he says, yeah, I'll, t- I'll, I'll lie a lot. Yeah. Things like that. But it, what he says sounds like solid advice. Uh, funny enough, he doesn't follow it himself at one point. No, he uh, doesn't. Uh, but the holiday camp stuff's great. Um, and uh, he's also commenting that David Essex goes, We haven't seen much. Uh, you know, he's making jokes about him being celibate and stuff like yeah. that. And, uh, and David Essex is trying to play because he said, Yeah, some of us are a bit more choosy. That's right, yeah. And by yeah. the end of the season, Ringo starts going, Bloody hell, I didn't know they were going to lock me up with a sex mate. <laughs> yeah, he completely <laughs> transforms in the space of six weeks. Um, <laughs> a really funny scene where um, David Essex spots the tattoo on Ringo's bum yeah um, bursts out laughing and you saying that he exaggerates or lies he says oh that's when I was at sea and he said no actually I wasn't at sea I used to work on the ferry between New Brighton and Liverpool or something wasn't it <laughs> yeah. the Birkenhead Ferry the Birkenhead Ferry that's his going at sea uh, just made me laugh um, did you ever go to holiday camps just to change the subject a bit I have been to a couple when I was a boy so were they like that because we went yeah they were kinder yeah that brought back real memories for me because we went to a Warner's holiday camp which is what this one is in in the movie and it was stuck in the 50s we're talking mid 70s right and it hadn't changed and it was so old fashioned it was the one they used in Heidi High Wow. We went yeah. to that one and it was exactly like it was like going back in time with Which the Which one was it? Where was it? Oh, the the one next to it was Dover Hailing Island. Hailing Island. Hailing Island, I think it was. I think it was down in Hampshire. Right. And it was exactly obviously like they they show in Heidi High, but we had a two holidays there. You know, the Grabness Glennies and Nobly Knees contest, all that sort of thing was still going on. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it all. I remember going there, you know chatting up the girls and <laughs> there's loads of little corners all over the place oh, dark yeah. spots yeah. which is great uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it was kind of like this and I don't think they did change for 20 odd years no, they're still kind of going I've got no idea what they're like now but, completely different uh, aren't they now yeah they're you're more you're setting big canteens uh, basically the restaurant's a canteen yeah that was it yeah. yeah I do miss them but uh, <laughs> no rush to go back that's for sure <laughs> so so, you know, we, we we get a few scenes of him, him pulling the birds as it is in, in, in the holiday camp, the relationship with Ringo Starr. We meet Debbie Watling. Uh, Debbie former, Watling, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, she must have been one of my first crushes. <laughs> thought, oh, my God, that woman's beautiful. She when I was about is. nine. Yeah, big blue <laughs> eyes, huge blue eyes. Doctor Who, former companion, obviously. Yeah. I think we've mentioned I her before. I didn't know her from that. I know it now, but I didn't know her from that. that my first knowledge of her was this film and then i think she went on to uxb oh yeah with uh, Andy andrews yeah yes i think she was in that but i do remember i, I still think she's beautiful she is beautiful in this film yeah too. well she um, passed away about 18 months ago literally within two weeks yeah. of rosemary leach dying coincidentally yeah. they died about Weird. the same time yeah it's um, a shame yeah, but a fantastic actress. The father is Jack Watling, who we've mentioned on the show previously because he's a famous 50s actor. So he's he's been on The Real Britannia, a dad, a few times. Mm. Um, she may crop up again because she did do a couple of films. I think she was in... It was in an amicus thing called Blood on Satan's Claw. Was she in that? Uh, I don't remember her in it. Is no. it not that one? Sure it's, she wasn't. Linda Hayden. That's probably what I'm thinking of. But she was in some Hammer film or an Amicus horror, you know, I remember from Yeah, that. I think you're right there, but I can't remember which. Yeah. So what happens? You know, as you say, David Essex becomes a bit more promiscuous, but they end up going to the fun fair after the yeah, holiday season. Yeah, just before finished. that, I have to just comment on mm. some of his adventures. The bit where uh, Deborah Watt... I have to say, I think I watched this film when I was about 10 or 11, and I knew what sex was. Yeah. But I was always confused about the scene where they're kissing, and then suddenly he lies back. And she <laughs> says, very funny, do you always come so quickly? Yes. Because honestly, I had enough knowledge at that time to think it was just a jump cut. Oh, it does end. look like I didn't realise yeah. that was the real time thing so it always confused it confused me the first couple of times I saw it then I realised oh no that's all one cut that then it actually happened and then he speaks to Ringo the following morning 
Consumer uh, sensational. Yeah, he, said, he, he says, I've had, be- I've had better, though. <laughs> I've had better. Yeah, he goes, what was yours called? He goes, I don't know, didn't ask. Didn't ask, I sit there reading the uh, comic. And then that drive contest where Ringo he's just doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, and it's very funny. Hilarious. And we also we haven't mentioned Billy Fury at this point because the camp no. entertainment is rock and roll legend himself, Billy Fury. Fantastic. Yeah, and Keith Moon on the drums. Keith Moon on the drums. This is just incredible. You know, if you look back at this, you think you've got Ringo Starr, Billy Fury, and Keith Moon in the same movie. Yeah. Incredible. There was also a guy on the piano. Now, I could be completely wrong here, and I haven't been able to find out his name, but there was a guy on the piano yeah. that looked really, really like one of the assassins in Thunderbolt. Really? The one who got pinned to a tree, and I could be completely wrong, <laughs> but it just looked like him to me. But Keith Moon was good, Keith Moon and Billy Fury. Yeah, Billy Fury was terrific in this. Uh, I, I really like the fact that they had all this great music playing, but when we actually live bands playing, yep. even though the audiences were kind of bored and nothing, <laughs> the bands were absolutely terrific. Yeah, yeah, but we the- see three or four different live bands, and they're absolutely terrific bad but they're like bored teenagers watching them and you think, just sitting, oh you people yeah it's <laughs> probably because you know in a lot of this that's set in the holiday camp they they're there with their parents so they can't yeah. be themselves they're like, oh having to sit there and the parents aren't obviously going to get up and, and jive no. um, and i've got a funny thing i mean i don't know this for sure but some of those bands used were probably um you know the actual rock and roll tribute bands that were going about at the yeah. time. You know they thought, yeah, yeah you, you guys are great, like a Shawaddy Waddy or a Mud or something like that. And they thought, go on, you can do a couple of numbers in the movie. Yeah, it was great seeing the old drainpipe trousers and the the wing. Now, funny enough, I do remember holiday camps of sorts. In fact, caravan parks more than holiday yeah. camps, uh, where there were bands playing, and the girls did swan all over him I do remember that it's like oh my goodness and there's like these blokes must be 20, 25 and these 15, 16 year old girls and you didn't think anything of it but now it feels a bit eh (laughs) but you know the girls it weren't they were there I've got to be careful with my words here. They were yeah. there and they wanted to be there. Yeah. You know, talking to the bands. I don't know about the rest of it. I've got well, no you can, knowledge of that. You but. can see it as well in this. You know, the girls are there, yeah. like sitting at the table, and they're, you know, the big eyes, the big doe eyes looking up at Billy Fury as he's gyrating yeah. on the stage. Yeah. And, and he knows as well because he goes straight over to them and, you know, gets a drink yeah, and starts stuff. talking. Yeah. yeah. And he, he, I mean, he's pretty damn good, isn't he, Billy Fury? In this he, as well. oh, taken far too soon, mate. He was only 43 when he died. You know? Man, he was a good. He, he was, was yeah, as I say, rock and roll legend. And I'm, I'm glad that we've got something like this that we can see him. Because he did act in the 60s. He did a couple of movies while he was... Yeah, and he acted just fine. Even, I mean, Keith Richards... Uh, Keith Richards. <laughs> Keith Moon, not a great actor. But he was okay in a little bit he had. And that didn't bit of drumming just shows you it's Keith Moon, right? Yeah, didn't have to do a great deal. And he's in Stardust as well, isn't he, Keith Moon? Yes. Yes, yes. okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing these bands. And I think Ringo at one point says, you know... They only come here for the women. Their their chalets are like Roman orgies. And I, I can kind of believe it. Yeah. Believe it. Yeah, you can um, see it in his eyes. It's exactly yeah. what he's there for. Yeah. So um, anyway, they, they. I mean, um, uh, towards the end of it, um, uh, Ringo. It starts with Ringo saying, "Oh, this is an holiday for me off the fair. It's yeah. Ten months on the fair's hard work." And then by the end of it, it's like I'm pissed off being locked up in here. I can't wait to get back. And um, Jim sort of says, "Do you think there'd be a job for me?" That's and Ringo's kind of, uh, <laughs> and then we see the fair, and they yeah. meet all the various people. There's Doreen, the older lady. Yes, uh, that he's, bloke who runs the fair is in loads of stuff. He's in. I can't remember his name. He's in the Long Good Friday. He's in. He's, yes, as is Carl Hellman and probably most of the people in this as well. <laughs> he was always in the Sweeney and Minder, and he was one of those faces, wasn't he? Always played like an East End. Yeah, it was yeah. over in drama or comedy drama yeah. stuff. Yeah, don't know his You'd name. You find him in stuff but... like Alvida saying pet maybe. Yeah. That kind of stuff. early eighties kind of comedy yeah. dramas. Always about that guy. And and we learn how to how to fit all the customers on the dodgems. We we get a little bit of life lesson from Ringo Starr at this point. That bit reminded me of um some of this film actually reminds me of Alfie a little. Uh, yes, yeah. Definite vibe because I remember Alfie talking about having his little fiddles, you know, keeps the world That's going. right. Yeah. Uh, and there's uh, there's certainly some elements of that in this. And in many ways Jim McLean feels like a a young Alfie coming yeah. up. Yeah. 
yeah, not as confident at the beginning, but you can no. see the confidence bloom and blossom as, you know, he gets more success sexually and, and uh, just progresses throughout the movie. And it's interspersed with his poetry. And there's one point he's uh, writing on a girl's back with lipstick. And That's he right. says, You're, you make a lovely scoreboard and he puts a 15 <laughs> on her back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So He's not a very likeable character in some... Well, in some, some of them, he's downright horrible, actually, yes. or quite a bad character. But it, I kind of like the fact it's kind of shaded. Um, so he's kind of just walking through life and he does some questionable things but uh, it's because it's David Essex and David Essex has got some sort of charisma and charm you don't you know you feel like you're just watching someone's life yeah, rather than you, a you drama can, you can be a bit forgiving as well I'm just wondering what certificate this might have been when it first came out I would guess an AA yeah double A movie yeah yeah that'd be um, 14 back then to get into one of those didn't you so yeah Double A. I don't think there was anything, definitely not to make it an X. You know, I don't think there was anything there yeah. that would generate an X. The sex scenes were not too, that explicit, were you? No, but, no. So where are we? We're at the fun fair. We're um, at the fun fair. Uh, and they're show, showing him how to fiddle and he's, he's chanting his arm and he's talking to the girls and, you know. At one point, we see him outside lying on the grass Right, just out of the lights of the fair with this young girl, yeah, and she's saying no, and it, it basically rapes her. Yes, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a bit grim because to this point, it's been like, okay, he's having a bit of fun, but he's having a bit of fun with girls who want a bit of fun, and that's all fine. And but this was really dodgy. I'm not, I, the older I get, the less comfortable I get with this. I, yeah. I felt it was just a thing when I first saw it. Didn't quite understand what was going on. Um, but I, I really don't like this. No, it is. It's quite an uncomfortable moment, isn't it? I mean, there's there's being confident and cocky, and then it's taking it to another level, isn't there? You know. And yeah. When she's saying no, clearly saying no. Yes. Uh, it's just a bit questionable. Yeah. Uh, and Ringo Starr even picks him up when he comes in. He goes, "Where you? You know, where you've been? Bit of late night gardening." <laughs> oh, that's right. Goes, he's got the muddy knees. <laughs> yeah, he goes, Christ, not that little school girl. And you never quite see how old she is. So that, no. uh, anyway, uh, and he says, You should pick on someone your own size. Says, yeah, it's all there. The clues are all there, aren't they? That's the thing. And then there's isn't one point that it all backfires on Ringo, isn't it? Because he gets beaten up. Yeah, he specific one piece of advice he gives to uh, Jim is never pick on a gang, never do it with a gang. Yeah. You'll be in trouble. And he does it, and they're, they're part of a gang. Mm. He does. They're obviously the gang aren't with them, but they say, you know, we'll get you after, and uh, he gets a bloody hiding. Yeah, he does get a right of, beating. Yeah, uh, and Jim stumbles on it, but backs away and runs off. Yeah, uh, and then goes shacks up with Dory <laughs> as the ambulance <laughs> goes off, and and the, the fair owner saying, oh, he's had forty two stitches and six broken, broken ribs, ribs, yeah, shattered leg or something like that. Yeah, do you want a uh, job? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> basically. You handle yeah. the whip, and, he, and then that mental whip job. Yeah, where you're jumping around in this heavy machinery. Yeah. That's going to kill you. Now that was what, what they used to call in the waltzers, <laughs> weren't they? When we were kids, were yeah, that, that right? Yeah, the, the waltzers. waltzers. Well, it's a uh, waltzer. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember guys doing that, spinning the, around. Yeah. Spinning around, jumping it, jumping between them as yeah. as this. There's no what if you your foot foot gets stuck under one of them, you are dead. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, you'd have lost your leg. Yeah. You'd have lost the leg, <laughs> and he's doing all that, and it's like, and I remember guys doing that and thinking nothing of it, because when you're a kid, you think, ah, oh, it's probably a safety thing. Yeah. But there isn't. There's no way any of that's safe. No. Uh, but I mean, even taking a bar out. From people that are using it and sitting bang on it, that uh, it, that was funny though because uh, Robert Lindsay comes to visit, does he? And he's he's now become a waltzer. yeah, he's now become a beatnik, hasn't he? He's, he's now grown. Yeah, he's got his, a beard. Yeah, his, <laughs> his CND badge, and you can tell that he's gone the other faction, isn't he? You know, you had your, you had your rockers on one side, but then you had your beatniks, your poetry lovers, didn't you? That like their trad jazz. Yeah, and and Robert Lindsay has gone. Gone over to the dark side, as David Essex seems yeah, to think. David, I mean, David, this is this bit is really funny because it's obviously who the cooler one is. It's <laughs> really, really obvious. Um, and they say, "No, we like trad here." Yeah. Um, rock, rocks, rock would be got is a phase. And, uh, and David Essex says it will still be playing these songs twenty years <laughs> later after all your lot's gone. Yeah. 
And he doesn't fit in with that crowd at all, bless him, David Essex. No. He meets the two girls. And he girls. doesn't really try to. Again, he's been quite unpleasant, but you can kind of see why he's sort of saying, I'm the major show-off. That's, That's what it. I do. That's my job. And then he tries um, to back out of it by saying, well, actually, I'm only staying at the fairground until I've written my novel, which is novel, about... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's more like it's being sarcastic. I don't think he's trying to pretend that. He's just sort of saying it. Just to, And the girl just goes. She so sees knows. right through him. Yeah, she sees yeah. right through him and walks off. Yeah, and he, he just pisses off too because he's like, uh... <laughs> they don't, it doesn't belong there. It doesn't belong no. there. And man, I remember thinking at that point, I think, thinking, he made the right choice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. The, 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 the funfair in the, the um, holiday camp looks way more fun than any of that stuff. Oh, yeah, coffee bars and, and you know, CND marches. Yeah, uh, what would you rather be doing? Yeah, and, so, uh, and he's saying to Robert Lizzie, yeah, I've got lots of girls. He goes, oh, I'll do all right as well. Think, no, you don't. <laughs> No, you don't. It's completely different. But um, it, it carries on though, doesn't it? Because like this, this whole Lothario image that he's been sort of cultivating over the last, you know, year. I'm assuming this is sort of over the course of now. He meets another girl, doesn't he? Back on the on the fairground, and yeah. takes her back to his room. Now there's this scene that when he gets her into bed. Oh well, th- there's the the baby crying that we we saw earlier, wasn't there at the uh, holiday camp? We hear a baby crying when he first has his first sexual experience. But then we get it again here, don't we? This is the thing. There's a bit of a theme. Yeah, uh, she 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 basically's hanging around for him after the fair. So yeah. he obviously gave her a bit of a chat. And oh, he's got a motorbike at this point. That's so right. Room, yeah. But she's got a baby in a room, and he's he's saying, "You leave your baby." Yeah. She says, "It's all right." The woman downstairs looks at him, but when the baby starts crying, he just runs off. And it, the, the the as he runs, the crying of the baby gets louder and louder on the soundtrack, and and, and echoey, so it becomes all pervasive. Yeah, and it it, it, it it didn't become apparent to me until the second watch. I think it's all linked to his father leaving him because when he's with Deborah Watling and the baby's crying in the chalet next door. That yeah. baby's been left in the chalet on its own because you can hear over the tannoy, baby crying in chalet 27 or something. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously when he meets this girl and he finds finds out that she's left her baby while she's been out at the fair, yeah, something's clicked in his brain. And I think it's all to do with the, the abandonment issues if we were going to be really deep about it or whatever. But Yeah, I also wonder if it's about like, how many babies have I made? you know doing this that's the other thing it's yeah. a bit of that which again keys into a bit of what comes out in Alfie at certain points yeah too. yeah Jay uh, it's about yeah. it's not regret it's just like I can't live like this anymore yeah it's, it's kind of a bit of that isn't there and so he does uh, make that decision doesn't he and this is the point where he goes home it's, it's quite it sudden isn't home. it just goes home yeah. all of a sudden two years it says here on the synopsis two years later and his mum's like, how do I know you won't leave again? She's a right old nag. Uh, <laughs> now, she reminds uh, I hate to say this, but she reminds me of, uh, oh, I used to go with a girl, uh, her mother. Not her that. mother was really like Rosemary Leach. And <laughs> she was like, oh. She was like, oh, I couldn't deal with it. It was like, oh, give me a break. Uh, but it's weird. So when I see this film, I remember her, which I shouldn't really, but it's kind of, uh, uh, <laughs> But I mean, she's not unreasonable. I know, I say that, she's not unreasonable. Yeah. She's kind of forgiving as well. Yeah, and also I think deep down she's glad that he's back home at the end of the day. You know, yeah, her I mean, father's okay. not getting any younger. She's running the shop on her own now because I'm, you know, I'm getting the impression that the dad, you know, the grandfather's not helping out too much. Well, is that a stroke or something? There we go. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Just in a chair, really. Yeah. Uh, so she's running the shop and looking after the poor old fella all on her own which is can't be easy no right? so she's, she's quite proud you know pleased that you know the, the prodigal's returned and he, and starts, he starts to make really him, make yeah. a go of it yeah. doesn't he? he he realizes that you know all right i've sown me wild oats perhaps and now it's time to you know knuckle down and do something you know he's painting signs for the shop and he buys you know he trades in the the motorbike for a van he says now we're going to go places mum you know we're really going to make something of the shop yeah and she's impressed with his sign painting she's like maybe you should go to art college yeah. should have gone to art college because I got a feeling he wanted to go to art co- that that little line there indicates he actually wanted to go to art college but they said no you need proper qualifications or yeah something. but he was so com- not comfortable but you know he he knew everything about history he knew all the academic stuff that had been thrown yeah. at him 
and again, this is sort of the time with the Beatles and all those early groups. John Lennon and all those guys attended art college, didn't they? And ended up forming yeah. bands, you know. So the links are all there to the to the real life stories that we're familiar with. And then he starts taking up with Robert Lindsay's sister, who's played by Rosalind Dares. Yes, um, yeah, that's Jeanette, isn't it? I think Jeanette. Yeah, um, she's. Uh, I always like Rosalind Dares. She reminds me quite a lot in this film of Susan Sarandon. She does. It's uh, the big Jan- eyes, isn't it? It's the big, big yeah, it's eyes. the big eyes. It's got the same kind of facial structure too. Yeah, uh, she's quite a nice. She's a good actress, and she's quite um, charismatic too. You can kind yeah. of see. You know, there's something about her, and it kind of works. And they start going out, much to Robert Lindsay and his mum's sort of disgust. Yeah. They start going out, don't they, and sort of becoming a thing. Uh, and no one's happy about it, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, Rosalind Dares, uh, I mean, I sort of know her more in later life, wasn't she? She was more of your sort of ITV dramas, wasn't she, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. She was in Titanic. James was Cameron's she? Titanic, yeah. And I can't remember who she played... But obviously, she was a lot older. Yeah, she's one she of the. She played older... Elsa Lanchester in Gods and Monsters. She was in Gods she's... and Monsters. That's she's right. She's a good match for Elsa yeah, Lanchester. Yeah, yeah, Bride quite of Frankenstein. Like Elsa yeah. Lanchester. So that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I just have a look. She also, in the same year, she played a character called Veronica in The Lovers, a TV series called oh, The Richard Lovers. Oh, Richard Beckinsale. Oh. And Richard Beckinsale really looks like David Essex. <laughs> yeah, which he is did. kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. She does come back in Stardust as well, just so you know. Oh, right, okay. okay yeah, I will Jeanette. be watching that very soon, actually, Stardust. Yeah. We'll talk um, about that. But yeah, she, she, I mean, she didn't make a great career, but she's memorable. She, I, yeah, I, I remember more sort of TV work. She was always in period dramas and, and, you know, the Dickens productions on a Sunday afternoon or something like that. You'd always that see her in something. Thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but she's great in this. Seeing her as a young. A younger actress, like we said, seeing Marlene from Only Falls and Horses and people like that. Yeah. Um, Good cast in this film, I've got. Great. It's great. As I say, I didn't really appreciate it first time round because I was focusing on the story and trying to work out where it was going to go. But I had a more of a relaxed viewing this time round. And I got into it knowing that it wasn't going to be the rock and roll movie that I was expecting. But it's round about this point that you see David Essex and his aspirations for becoming a singer. He's singing into a harmonica, isn't he, and things like that in the bedroom. And and he's sort of dating Rosalind Ayres at this point. They go down to the lake. Um, he's still got the motorbike at this point, but he says to her, you know, I'm selling that. I'm going to get a van to help out the shop. It, but he's starting to go out in the evenings. And I, I, I always thought... Funny, this watch didn't... I thought... He was like, he'd said he was going to art college in the evenings, but he doesn't actually say that. He says he? night he just, school. Night school, he that's says it. night school. But he actually yeah. just goes and watches bands and hangs around. Yeah. And he's yeah. not womanising, he's just like doing other stuff. Yeah, he's just out in the evening having a few beers, mooching yeah, about. And you can tell that, you know, even though he's bored. made this decision, he's not entirely happy, that's right. You know, it's like, oh, they two years in the fun fairs and the holiday camp and it's like a couple of, you know a year or so now doing this he's got very itchy feet hasn't he he's, he's never content with his life he doesn't know what he wants to do or is it the fact that deep down he does want to be a rock and roller is that always yeah. been there you, you, it's not quite clear is it what what his dreams were he doesn't make them you know that obvious no and it's kind of interesting these things because they've got these bands on and let's say they're great bands yeah and some there's some of the audience watching, but there's an awful lot of the audience just sitting around, <laughs> and the boys and the girls on one side and the other, and the boys are proper, <laughs> you know, that cannot talk to a girl types, yeah. and some of the girls are a bit I cannot talk to a boy types, yeah. And you get, but in the meantime, there's David Essex looking at the band, yeah. You know? But that is so accurate. I mean, you and I remember school discos, and when we first went out to clubs and things when we were sixteen, seventeen, it was still that sort of set up yeah it was a bit like that i mean yeah. like, for me it was like disco which was a yeah. different kind of thing again yeah. but um it was kind of it was like that but they were in proper old halls <laughs> yeah. brightly lit halls it's like complete atmosphere killers yeah, uh, yeah. but the bands were giving it some mm. uh, the bands weren't lookers either actually no oh no <laughs> no there's yes yeah, still belting out the rock and roll numbers but they, they're not there were no billy furies there were there that's for sure no, that's for sure <laughs> i mean i remember i read uh lemmy's autobiography and yeah and he talks about some of his, you know, adventures, and he's saying, "Thank goodness I do rock and roll. There's no way this would ever happen to me if I didn't do rock and roll. Uh, not a chance." Um, 
and it's kind of like that. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, he's doing all this stuff. But uh, he's getting close with Rosalind Dares. Yeah. In fact, he, they go to the cinema and watch a horror film, don't they? Which yes. I think is murder. What's it called? It's the one with the binoculars and the spikes in the eyes. Murder. Something about murdering the Black Museum or something oh. in the Black Museum. It was called. Okay. Uh, but we see a shot of the woman holding her eyeballs, oh, the, holding her eyes over her hands. That's not the one with Boris Karloff, is it? No, it's. I think it's Vincent Price. Oh, ah, right. Okay. Something in the Black Museum. Yeah. I haven't seen it in so long. Um, uh, nah, I we'll can't we'll find, find it. it. Don't worry. We'll find it. Yeah, I'm going to Google that while you're talking. Okay. But. So, yeah, we've got all this. Um, sort of progression with the relationship between David Essex and Jeanette and, and she falls pregnant we get, no she doesn't well they think she falls pregnant don't they this is the thing because there's everyone accuses her of being pregnant yeah because because they get married fairly quickly there's there's a Every, scene everyone who gets married quickly gets someone there's yeah. pregnancy is always someone in the back of someone's mind there's, just yeah no there's a scene isn't there where they're setting up the tables before the wedding and he says, doesn't she? Everyone thinks that she's pregnant, but and no, he hasn't touched her. Yeah, and that's the thing. And uh, but he's talking to uh, what's her name? The other blonde girl, uh, the mate, Jean. Is it Jean? Jean. Yes, Jean. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they meet up the night before the wedding. He ends up taking her out for a drink. Well, he says, I'm going on my stag do, and yeah. he invites her out. And it's, it's and only she's him. going, Oh, <laughs> should you be going out with me? What would Jeanette say? Goes, do you want to come or not? It's kind of like that. Um, and she obviously does because he's good looking and yeah. mysterious. And in the meantime, Jeanette's at home with the curlers in talking to Robert Lindsay and he's trying to put her off, saying, you know, he's, he, the <laughs> he's man's like, a bit Where, of a. Where's Gene? Yeah. Where, where's Gene? <laughs> he's a bit of a sex pest, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> so, nobody's figuring out what the hell's going on at this point. But thank God for the van in David Essex's eyes because now he's got the van. He's, he's literally like, you know, necking with, with Gene in the back of the van. Well, more than necking. Um, and one of the interesting things is the repeating patterns he gets with the women you know you won't tell anyone yeah am I better than so and so am I like the girls at so and so it's all of that all of the time and he's like he's oh. <laughs> just yeah. bored of it kind of it's so, um, there's this theme isn't there like you're saying that it's, it'll, it'll rattle on with something for a year or two and then move on to something else because yeah, we'll see that again there's another example of that coming up in a minute but he does marry uh, her he does marry her he does marry her also I have to say he does bump into Carl Howman doesn't he and another guy in a coffee shop and they're in a band which sparks the interest again in the rock and roll yeah. because he's, and he even says oh I was playing harmonica with a band for a bit Stormy yeah. Tempest that's it and Carl Howman like, looks at him okay. like yeah no you weren't yeah. uh, and he <laughs> says oh yeah I saw a bloke with a harmonica uh, and all of that um the sparks so there, isn't it? To say it's yeah, it's just these little sparks of oh, you know, rock and roll. That may be where I'm heading. Not too sure here. Yeah. Um, and the so film- it's kind of similar to John Lennon. This story really, it kind of feels very John Lennony. It is, isn't it? Sort of like the uh, the art college, the quarry men, the the, the band is. It, yeah. it, it was with John Lennon. It was his mum that died rather than his father leaving. Well, his dad did leave him, didn't he? As well, dad that did was, leave, yeah. and he was raised by an aunt. Yeah. Aunt Mimi, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's some very good parallels, as we say, because Ringo Starr and some of the other guys were using their experiences to help with the screenplay. From what I can gather here, from Con- from Ray Connolly. Yeah, um, and we're sort of winding up towards the last few scenes now, where you think, okay, we're heading for some sort of a happy ending but you know that he's not happy deep down with his decision yeah it's an interesting scene because i mean she has the baby and everyone's cooing over the baby the mother-in-law comes along and they're all coo- you know the various grannies are cooing over the but baby they're still and the not approving says, though are they that's the thing and the mother-in-law says something like i've always stressed the importance of qualifications so it's like <laughs> yeah she's get gets one in get get one yeah. in before you while you can love uh and uh but he just gets bored yeah and uh leaves i like i like the ending i like the way this leaves it open-ended even though we do get a conclusion to this in the next movie just the fact that he ups and goes yeah and ends up like, like his dad yeah just like his dad exactly yeah. comes full circle 
even even leading up to that point, you know, he's sitting there reading New Musical Express. Look, you can tell he's still reading all the music papers and there's babies in the background and nappies and all this home life going on. And he just goes, he packs a bag, literally just goes, well, Rosalind Dares is having her hair in curlers from the mother-in-law, you know. It's just, <laughs> just this final scene where he walks into a shop and picks up a guitar. Buys a guitar, spends all his money on his, yeah. a guitar, and this is. Uh, do you want to help with that? He goes, "No, I don't think I'll have any trouble." Some lines, yeah. yeah. And you think just ends. And if if you didn't know that there was a sequel to this movie, you'd think, "Oh, I'd like to see a sequel. I'd like to see where he ends up." Which we yeah. do. We do get rewarded with a couple of years later. We do. Um, it moves quite. You know, it moves through the sixties and seventies. This uh, early seventies, anyway. Um, all right. Okay. Well, an interesting sort of st- stuff going on in it. I'm looking um, forward to it, as I say, because this second viewing of this for me has elevated it up. You know, a, a couple of stars in my rating almost. I really enjoyed it. I definitely appreciate Ringo Starr's performance a lot more this time round. Um, yeah, the story itself fascinating, absolutely fascinating story because it is is a story about brief five-year period over the 60s of, of a, of a man, boy and a man who just cannot settle yeah and it, it but it also gives me an idea of you know how much i love 60s music you're all fully aware of the beatles and things like that. it gives me a bit of an idea of actually this is how things like that happened how the beatles were formed how all those great 60s bands were living sort of david essex's life to a certain degree in this movie that they were kids, yeah. they were teenagers, they were buying the Eddie Cochran and the Elvis Presley records, they were had their dreams and they were buying their guitars and playing till their fingers bled, as, they, as the song says, you know, until they become famous. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this ends up. So hopefully yeah. we'll be reviewing that in a few episodes' time, mate, if you're yeah. up for that. I mean, stylistically, it feels very similar to this as well. Oh, uh, good, not just, okay. It's not just a continuation of the story. It feels like organically the same kind of film. So it's um, a natural progression. It is so it a feels sequel, quite yeah. right finding out more about this man. You know, am I um, right that Larry Hagman plays his manager or something in the second one? Yeah, there are yeah. various analogs of various dickheads <laughs> and whatever <laughs> okay. that they had to deal with. The Beatles, for example, had to deal with. You know, yeah, he's a, like an Alan Klein a bit like Yoko Ono. Yeah, uh, what was it? I've forgotten the American guy that took over Bright. Brian that was Alan Klein, wasn't it? That's, Alan Klein yeah. is, is your Larry Hagman. Uh, uh, right. And you get all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and you get, you know, people saying, you know, like Pete Best was kicked out of the Beatles. Yes. Is that kind of, you know, he's not suitable. So oh. we're going to have to do It's all that. Do you know what? I'll probably watch that. it tonight. Oh, no, I can't watch it tonight. But I will be watching yeah. it this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And it does, uh, again, bears rewatching. And in a way, it's a more complex and. Uh, detailed and a nuanced and rounded film than the first one but I prefer that way today okay I'll, I'll make my decision once I've seen the second one yeah, I picked absolutely. up the I picked up the DVD when you said we were going to be reviewing this and it came as a double pack with Stardust quite cheap so so did I yeah mm. I bought it just for because I, I kind of had a digital one but I kind of wanted something a bit more tangible of course you do it's um, always good to see it on the shelf isn't yeah it? man this is a good soundtrack as well I'm, that's to be said I'm looking through the cupboards later on this afternoon to see if that double vinyl is still floating about somewhere. I hope it is, because that's going on the turntable this afternoon as well. (laughs) You know, I was uh, thinking about it. I think one of the reasons maybe I prefer that would be the day is because I find the soundtrack way better. The Mm. the Stardust film's more about the band. Is it more sort of original music as well in the Stardust? than than, Uh, It's um, not harking back to the 50s stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but I really like the fifties kind of stuff. And also, so, by that time, hasn't sort of David Essex established himself as a pop star in real life? By the time Stardust is, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. had rock on, and la- probably my favourite song is the Lamplight. Lamplight is uh, pretty. Was, good was song. that but an early one? All oh, right, okay, yeah, because gonna make you a, a star was there. about that sort of time, wasn't gonna it? Make you a star, yeah, yeah. Uh, but David Essex has been kicking around for years. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, but his, his most famous hits were of early seventies. Of course, they were exactly. Thank you for suggesting that because it was probably one that, as I say, in my mind, I thought I'd seen, so I was in no rush to to watch. Um, and I'm glad I did because I've watched it twice in quick succession now, and I know I'm going to watch it again very soon. 
So. It stands rewatch, and hmm. I think the middle section only gets better. And I think, in fact, yeah. the film only gets better with rewatches. Yeah, uh, but the middle section in particular, where you because you see the nuances and the way Ringo Ringo stars really good. <laughs> I mean, really good. We can't emphasize uh, that enough, can okay. we? His little eye movements <laughs> when you know when David Essex says stuff, you know, it's like uh, a bit of bull, yeah. you know, bull crap. Yeah. Uh, and the way Ringo Starr doesn't like pick him up or call him out, he just kind of yeah, smiles yeah. to himself and yeah. carries on reading <laughs> and stuff like that. It just makes me laugh. Highly recommended. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, let's take a short break. I'm going to invite you back on. Sod it. See you in a couple of minutes, and we'll find out what we're going to be reviewing next time. Okay, Mark, that was That'll Be The Day. For your next appearance on the show, I'm going to let you choose again because we've had two fine selections from you so far. Let's keep it running. What are we going for next time? Right, what are we going... This is obscure, right? <laughs> if there's, I would expect over 90% of your audience will have not even heard of this film. Okay. Mind about seeing it. Yep. It's a film from 1983. Mm. came out in a cinema, I think only in the UK. And it's called Party Party. And it's a very, very simple premise. It's basically a New Year's Eve party. The, the, the first act is a bit of the setup, you know, who's coming, what's happening, and all this. But yep. mostly it's just setting a party. Yeah. And it's comedy. Um, yeah. Amazing. I remember it. I remember the soundtrack album very well. Watched it a few times when it first came out. Haven't seen it probably since mid 80s. But you, I know, have watched it religiously back then but you, you just said to me before you haven't seen it for about 10 years yourself i haven't seen it for 10 years but i did buy the dvd when it came it's whenever the dvd was re- released okay. that's the last time i watched it because i bought i might watch it twice but um I, I watched it in quick succession and just not watched this but the thing is i do know it it's not like it's something i particularly have to watch okay well, but I, I will be again for this but you know i've got my dvd copy sitting on the shelf ready to watch myself looking forward to it uh, because I, i've got fond memories of it but it, it's weird i've got fond memories of watching it but i can't remember any of the content of it at all oh dear i know it all backwards yeah i'm so sad it's really sad <laughs> it's super sad and I constantly watching British telly and saying, oh, that's him from Party Party, and that's her from Party yeah. Party. All the time, adverts, shows, you know, you name it, it's like various people from Party Party. And you're going to bring Kate Williams into the Hall of Fame for us as well. Yes, and she, yeah, she's a mother. She's a well, what a surprise. What a surprise, yeah. Kate Williams playing Kate a mother. Williams, <laughs> yes. Yes. Mark, where can listeners find your podcasts? Oh, my various podcasts. Uh, mm. The best place to look for all of my stuff is www the good the bad and the odd.com everything uh, all of my stuff hangs off that all of the stuff i produce hangs off that um and my main one is the good the bad and the odd, which is about cinema usually but not always and also the main one i'm currently running at the minute is exploring anthology tv and that's called anthologic yes but again just go to that website for that Fantastic. Um, so yeah those are some of the things i do also you know i guess quite a lot on united nations horror which is horror movies yeah uh um, quite, I'm one of the three main um, hosts on that. Uh, I enjoy that greatly too. I'm a big horror fan. So yeah, yeah all all fine podcasts. I listen to all of them, and the anthology one, particularly looking forward to as as I've been invited to be a guest on that at some point very soon. So, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing you or talking to you in a couple of weeks' time, mate, for party party. Thank you for taking the time out today, mate. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was a real. Re- re- I'm so glad I, I bought this film to you as well. I didn't know I was doing that. I no. thought we were just watching somebody. That um, so uh, hopefully it was a pleasure for you, yeah. uh, and it was really good to watch it again. And I recommend it to anyone. Anyone certainly teenagers yeah. upwards. Certainly interesting. Interesting snapshot, as we said. Yeah, mm. Mark. Cheers, mate. I'll speak to you very, very soon. Okay. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you.
the British end up, sir.